Hi everyone, I'm Laura Warnod, and this is the Wonder Workers podcast. Wonder Workers is an interview-based podcast where I invite change makers to talk about their experience, their mission, and drive towards impacting the world, and ultimately to inspire, educate, and empower entrepreneurs, business leaders, and owners, and young people on how they can build together a more sustainable world. This community of wonder workers act behind the scenes to lead the world towards a new era of purpose, self-actualization, and innovation. This is a generation who shows no limits to what they can accomplish, no tolerance for dehumanization, and use their uniqueness as a real power to change the world. We want to invite you, responsible leaders, entrepreneurs, young people, and all other listeners in your quest for purpose to give you too the power to change the world. But having powers alone does not make us superheroes. Even them need allies. It's only when we accept our differences, combine our powers, belong and thrive together that our forces can turn into superpowers. We are Wonder Workers, a community of change makers, entrepreneurs, business owners, and aspiring ones who use their superpowers collectively to change the world. So tell me, what are your superpowers? In today's episode of Wonder Workers, I am with Rebecca Mortar, the founder and CEO of the disruptive omnichannel retail startup Loan Design Club. I went to an LDC store in London a couple months ago, and I absolutely loved it. You have the opportunity to meet the designers, understand the story behind the product, the line, or the brand, and really connect to the purpose of the business. And so I started doing my own research, and I was very inspired by Rebecca's story as I read more about her and her journey online, and I really, really dreamed of having her in the Wonder Workers podcast. I think her story perfectly reflects the mindset and attitude of a change maker, someone who challenges the status quo and overcomes adversity through passion, purpose, and a real profound drive for action and impact. And I'm so, so glad to have her in the podcast today, and I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. In this episode, we talk about her journey, her story of building a multi-retail brand, And she shows up with so much authenticity and dedication and purpose. And that's just so inspiring. And I really can't wait for you to listen to, to that episode because it was quite a vulnerable one as well. Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit more about who is Rebecca. So Rebecca Mortar is the founder and CEO of disruptive omnichannel retail startup Loan Design Club. She launched in 2018. The LDC offers customers a shopping experience like no other. Brands a trusted direct route to market both online and offline. With roots in the luxury fashion world, Rebecca trained as a designer launching her own brand at London Fashion Week in 2015. LDC was consequently born from the challenges she experienced in getting her brand in front of customers and the difficulties that come with the traditional wholesale retail model. Change needed to happen, so Rebecca set out to create a platform that disrupted the traditional wholesale model, supporting independent and sustainable brands to connect directly to consumers. LDC is a digital platform seriously powered by physical retail. Their pop-up stores on steroids are multi-brand, data-driven, and created to allow consumers to meet the designers behind the brand, hear their unique stories, and connect to form a long-lasting relationship. Over the last three years, Rebecca and the LDC platform have gone from strength to strength. Named as one of Forbes 30 under 30 and Dropper 30 under 30, Rebecca regularly speaks on topics around ethics and sustainability within the industry and the platform has gathered attention far and wide, featured in numerous high-profile media outlets such as The Times, WWD, Stylist and BBC, most recently being named as the winners of the Fashion District's Retail Futures 2020, highlighted for their innovation in retail connecting their physical and digital platforms. I am so excited for you to listen to that episode. It's such an exciting and vulnerable one. So yeah, let's jump in. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me here today. Thanks for being here. I mean, it's such a great pleasure and 
uh, honor really to have you here. I mean, I've seen your your work everywhere on, you know, social media and and sometimes in the news. And I, I've always been very inspired by your journey. So I'm really excited for you to be here. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to share. Hopefully, yeah, my story and maybe hopefully something useful. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess you know before we we start and kind of talk about the LDC and stuff, I, I'd love to hear more about. Well, your story, really, and who you are, right wherever you want to start. Ooh, okay, right at the beginning. Um, <laughs> okay, I'll go through as quick as possible. I'm sure you don't want to hear my, my whole life story. So, as you can probably tell, slightly strange accent, um, I'm from New Zealand. So, I grew up in New Zealand, very different life to now. I grew up on a farm, uh, horse riding, mucking out stalls, novelty farm, cows. So, very different to living in London and the city. When I was 18, I decided to move to the UK, to move to London uh, to study. I'd always been interested in arts and the creative. I drew a lot as a kid. Um, I loved to paint and to create. But I always, also always liked to experiment with ideas and projects and did a lot of, I guess, kind of like entrepreneurial. I had a lot of entrepreneurial projects, whether that was with school or kind of in my spare time, organizing things, fairs. Um, charity events and I guess looking back that's probably why or where a lot of my um, the kind of drive to be an entrepreneur and to run my own businesses now has come from but anyway so I moved over to study fashion I'd been interning for a couple of New Zealand famous um, designers and, and absolutely loved the world loved the creativity loved also the commerciality that came with it and ended up studying here in London and doing women's wear and it was a amazing journey, amazing experience, uh, full of creativity and excitement and vibrance and positivity, all those things that fashion brings that I, that I love about the industry. But it did not at all prepare me for business. And that has been a very interesting and steep learning curve, not only with uh, Learn Design Club LDC, that's my business now, but also my brand uh, before that. Um, and it's been interesting. I often, you know, now we're running a business that, you know, we have investors and it's, it's you know, we're really focused on growth and scale. And it's, um, it's interesting when I see other founders that came from finance or technology or business backgrounds. Uh, and it's quite crazy that I've made the jump from being a women's wear designer with who at the beginning didn't understand a cash flow, how to do like P&L or anything like that, and had to really learn the hard way uh, on the job how to essentially build a commercially viable business because creativity and business, um, they're not as linked and they don't often go hand in hand. But when you're a founder and you're going into business, you have to know the business side. So anyway, it's been a very interesting journey going, I guess, where it all properly started. When I graduated, I was working for various fashion houses such as Alexander Wang. I spent some time in New York, um, Simone Rocha, Paul Costello, um, I did a little bit of time at John Lewis on the commercial side. It was important to me to get experience, not just in luxury, but also in commercial. And being able to see both of those worlds was a huge eye-opener on how companies operate. The difference between luxury and atelier and a commercial business like John Lewis was super fascinating. And I think there's a lot each world can teach each other. After I, I graduated, I was working on the side for myself, so a little side hustle. I was designing, um, doing commissions and creating and loaning garments to people like Lady Gaga, Charlie X, Eve, so a lot of really cool celebrities, which was a lot of fun. Um, I mean, it was long hours, it was crazy nights. I mean, the industry itself, the fashion industry is mad. But this was, yeah, it was particularly crazy looking back. In 2015, I was approached by the British Fashion Council and asked if I wanted to show at London Fashion Week which was really exciting. Um, and I, the naive 22, I think 23-year-old I was, something like that. Yeah, I decided, you know, up and quit my job and I'm going to build a fashion brand, which was very interesting. I remember telling my parents and they were both like, uh, are you sure? Let's, you know, yeah. Is are you ready for this? And I think, you know, there's a point where you take the plunge and you do it. And the mm. naivety looking back, I laugh at now. But I love challenge. I love risk. I love problem solving. A lot of those, I think, they're important being an entrepreneur and going down this route because it's not an easy journey mm. and it's terror or euphoria and you have to be comfortable living in extremes mm -hmm. and it was thrilling I launched my brand at fashion week in 2015 um, and the press was amazing the, re the reception everything was great but what was a huge apparent challenge was just how ch difficult it was for small emerging brands to get their products into stores and actually in front of customers and not only on the financial side 
but also on the learning directly from that customer. What do they want? What are they willing to pay? And what is unique about a brand that's going to, I guess, ensure its success? So essentially what I realized pretty early on was how challenging the wholesale model was. And for a business totally self-funded and totally built on um you know, our passion, our drive, excitement. It wasn't a VC funded business that was set out with this crazy business plan and a huge amount of funding, spotting a gap in the market that would scale to a billion mm. pounds in three years. <laughs> it just wasn't that. And a yeah. lot of small businesses aren't, you know, mm. this, this creator community. But I realized really quickly that there was this challenge for smaller brands to actually get to market, to be able to take the reins of their, old, their own businesses, have that control. And you, just like with social media and e-commerce where you're selling directly to a consumer, having that power but in the physical world. Mm -hmm. So I started experimenting with pop-up stores um, and essentially working with landlords, shop owners that, the, I don't know, the stores were either void or vacant for some reason. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the other side of it, went out to my Fashion Week network and it was incredible how many brands were like, yes, we need a, we need a solution like this. We need a space in real life to be able to sell, to meet our customers face to face, to bring our digital consumers to a space where they can meet us. They can fall in love with the story. They can ask questions. They can be inspired. They can be part of the journey. They can see, touch, feel, and try the product mm -hmm. and not just have this very clinical and cold experience, which really is kind of the digital world, but this warm, welcoming community, experiential and storytelling um, ability which is so powerful through physical retail. So back in 2018, I officially incorporated the company. That was, I guess, the beginning of Loan Design Club. And since then, we've just been on a mission to support more and more brands, direct-to-consumer brands that are very much built on social and e-commerce, um, support them and their growth strategies and reaching their customers, increasing their sales, their lifetime value, their loyalty through an agile retail strategy. Mm -hmm. So really what Loan Design Club is, is a plug and play retail platform for direct to consumer brands. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, that was quite the mouthful. Hopefully no, semi-digestible. Yeah, but there are loads of very interesting things about your story. And I think, you know, what I found interesting is that at the beginning, you said, yeah, the job or the role of an entrepreneur is, um, is quite challenging. But then you went from being a designer to working in the commercial and retail side and then building your own brand. And then you launched the DLDC, right? So your journey and experience kind of led you to that point too. And Actually, yeah. to, to, you know, to seeing this, this problem in the fashion industry and kind of being like, okay, I want to resolve that issue but were you ready to be an entrepreneur and kind of build that do you feel like you had that in you or is it just because of the challenge and the problem that you wanted to solve no I had it I definitely had it in me um I'd always wanted to do my own thing I'd always wanted to like navigate my own journey that wasn't I guess just working for somebody else. Um, I'd always wanted that known that was in my path at some point. Mm. Would I have done it this way again? No. I would have worked longer in the industry before setting up on my own. But hindsight is a beautiful thing. And also I say that, you know, I could have then got sucked into the world working for somebody else. I don't know. You always look at other stories or reflect and think, yeah. you know, maybe it could have been different. Yeah, I mean, I definitely had it in me. Um, I think the, the biggest, like, the biggest thing going down this or the journey I've had is just constantly looking at why am I here and why am I doing this and what is my mm. purpose and always coming back to why. There's a great speaker, uh, author, entrepreneur, Simon Sinek, who mm -hmm. this, you know, all about why. And I just read his books over and over again and watch his um, videos. I, I just think the way he essentially what he's communicating is just so key. You know, why are we here? Why are we doing this? And every decision I've ever made or tried to make anyway has always been, but what is the point? What is the purpose? Am I actually solving a real issue for somebody? And I think the reason that I think like that is because I'm not, um, and I'm definitely not perfect. You know, I look, read his books, mm. hoping that, you know, maybe there's something resonating in what I'm doing. Yeah. But I think it's more I'd never set out just to create a business. Everything has been organic in responding to either an opportunity or responding to a challenge that I've seen. And I've had a personal experience with that challenge. So I feel more comfortable solving the problem or trying to solve it. And I think that's the journey that we've been on with Lone Design Club. We could have started out with, you know, there are so many 
I guess, learnings along the way that I've had that could have meant the journey could have been shorter. It could have, we could have grown or got there faster. Would it have been as authentic and genuine? And would we be building as robust a business for the future? Only time will tell. Mm. But I think that authenticity to answering that problem has been so ingrained and is so important for entrepreneurs. Yeah, loads of lessons here, I guess, from your journey and um, from, you know, building LDC and kind of solving that 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 problem that you saw during fashion week and when you built your own brand so uh yeah it's it sounds really kind of the natural way of things almost mm. but you said at the beginning you said um that you know if if you had to do it again you would have worked more maybe in in the industry before and i think that's interesting because people have a lot of different perspective on that like mm. i, I I don't know what my perspective is. I feel like, you know, as you said, I same. I've always had it in me to, to be an entrepreneur and build my own thing. Maybe it's too soon for me to say, oh, maybe I should have worked a little bit longer in, in the industry or um, in that space. But other people are like, I never want to work in offices or, mm. uh, you know, I just want to be an entrepreneur and build businesses. So from your own perspective, I guess, why, why did you say that? What would you do differently, I guess? I think a big thing is I have no regrets, first of all. Like yeah. everything I've done, I stand by and I wouldn't have got here without that. But I think in terms of doing it slightly differently, and I feel like this is the kind of, this response I change my mind a lot about. It depends on <laughs> yeah. kind of when you catch me and where I'm at in my journey. <laughs> um, but I guess, I mean, it's quite funny. I have one investor. She's a little bit older. She has kids and a family and she worked and did extremely well. Then she sat back two years ago to start her own business, mm -hmm. um, which is, is fantastic. And she always says to me, I wish I started sooner. I wish I started younger. Yeah. And I always say to her, I wish I started a bit later. I wish I had built up the network. I had a bit more corporate or just a bit more structured working environment that, you know, being in a company, like really understanding how businesses build culture, how businesses operate, mm. you know, a larger company and maybe smaller to just get a very well-rounded understanding of kind of operations and what's expected and structure mm. and framework and I think honestly that's it's just catching me at the right time but it's also because <laughs> I love structure and I love organization and in a startup for so many years we we were so scrappy and bootstrappy and you you know everyone's in you're doing things and then I think when you get to that point with a startup where you actually have space to breathe and you feel like you're in control more than out of control mm -hmm. it's a really nice place to be in mm -hmm. and it's tough in the early days to get there because you're hustling you're rolling with the punches you know you're trying to build culture you're trying to get sales you're trying to build the vision the brand the marketing everything you're, you're you know you're the you're wearing so many hats mm. that it feels unstructured yeah you know I did work for a couple of bigger businesses but it was never I, I didn't do it for longer than a few years or a year or so but it is interesting there is there's always two sides right the grass is always greener mm. and I'll hopefully look back and be like no I'm glad I did it this way <laughs> um, and I am glad I've done it this way but mm. there's a part of me that's curious if I had more if I had worked longer mm. I guess would I have done it I mean I would have but then what would my would my learnings have been different Mm. I don't know. Yeah, it's in it's interesting. Yeah, as you said, I think everyone has their own kind of perspective, mm. and depending on their experience and their personality as well, it's very different. But yeah, time will will tell. Time and will tell, and yeah. then again, like it's I guess it's never too late to you know, I mean I guess now no. you are like in the middle of like growing and expanding, and it's mm. super exciting. But who knows? Maybe at some point, you know, you'll have a an opportunity somewhere else. Yeah, de no, definitely. I know I will. I think that's the thing as well as like, so the business is four years old now and we're in a great place. We've got a really good team. We're growing. We're really focusing on scale. You know, it's robust. It's resilient. We've got through a lot, COVID. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I think a big next chapter for us is, you know, the team being able to get, or a big focus right now is the team being super self-sufficient, knowing the business inside out, all the cogs and the machine well oiled operating mm. so that it can run itself without me and without some of our key kind of team members at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the true test of a, of a business is that it's not solely reliant. Obviously I'm in it and invested and love it and passionate and, and continuing mm. with it. But for me, a big thing is getting it to a point where it's so well oiled and slick and scalable that I don't, it's not quite as hands-on for everybody. Mm. And we're finally getting to that point, which feels really good. 
That's great. And so what, what would you say now is kind of your biggest challenge, whether as an entrepreneur or like even working for the industry? Because I think what you're doing with the LDC is such a, you know, innovative and positive way of doing fashion and mm. selling fashion and uh, making fashion. And I feel like it's progressing, but mm. there's still so many, you know, things that needs to be improved and mm. and changed. So what would you say is, you know, your biggest challenge now? Oh, there's a, gosh, there's a lot of challenge. There's always challenges, mm-hmm. um, but I love a challenge. I think we're in a really interesting time. I mean, I, you know, we've, that's been such a challenging past few years. You know, we set up about a year before COVID kicked off. Um, we were in, um, we were across London, UK, Italy, and China. We had to scale that back and pull back and really rethink the parts of the business at that point. Getting through COVID was no easy feat. It taught us a lot. There was challenge after challenge. You know, we're now last year coming out of COVID and in so many ways what we learned through that and the new partners and stakeholders that we've been able to support has actually opened up a huge, a much larger business opportunity for us, which has been super exciting. And whilst it was a challenging period to get through, what we learned has actually, I think, in some ways accelerated our business's growth and our long-term, getting to our long-term goals and on, on scalability. I mean, it's been a wild ride, I think. Uh, yeah. Anyone who has a startup, you're you're literally signing up for a roller coaster that will not end and you can't see the end of it for a really long time. And like I said earlier, it's euphoria or terror. And getting comfortable with that is really important. Also, you become addicted to it. So you become mm-hmm. addicted to the highs and the lows, they feel really shit. Mm. But it makes you want that high again, you know. It's such a interesting situation to be in. And I think because of that, the challenges just become, it's just like part of the game, right? Mm. It's like you'll wake up in the morning and you'll be like on top of the world because something amazing's happened. I don't know, massive deal came through, great contract, whatever. And you'll finish the evening having lost, I don't know, you could go bankrupt in two weeks. You know, it's, it's that kind right. of life mm. that you're living you're living on the edge so challenges are just every day and constant but I like that problem solving element um, mm. as much as it it's tough it's you know you're solving things that are progressing towards they're making a there's a progression there which is interesting and you're learning so much along the way mm. I think one of the biggest challenges or the biggest parts of being an entrepreneur's resilience mm. and everyone always says this but I don't think you know what the word means until you do it mm. and I think and obviously that's why a lot of businesses will fail and I can see why it, some people are just not maybe not cut out for it mm. others it, it's really hard you have to have the thickest of skins you have to believe so passionately and you have to be willing to stand behind something at all costs mm. and that's a lot to ask of a person mm. um, which is why I always come back to why am I here because I don't want to be that person who's just building a business for the sake of it that doesn't feel that it's not sitting right, what we're building. So coming back to why are we here is always what brings me back to what am I actually doing with my team, with myself, with new partners we're working with. Why am I here and how am I really going to give them the value that they need? Because that's what ultimately is going to grow grow the business, but also make change and fulfill that purpose and mission that we're on. Challenges that we're having now, I mean, I think the current macro environment is a challenge for everybody. One of the challenges that we see is, I mean, sustainable fashion is important and it is making strides. We are slowly working towards that future, but it is it is difficult. Price point is a huge issue. We're going through a very challenging socioeconomical environment right now, which means people don't have, uh, people are feeling the squeeze. They don't have uh, the funds. So making sustainability accessible is absolutely crucial very difficult to do not something that can happen overnight that's one big challenge is being able to support those brands and actually you know they have livelihoods they have teams they have people to support within Mm. to helping them get to market and to make you know to be able to sell and make sales and grow their brands and get out there i think there's a big challenge or where we're actually seeing huge opportunity on the property sector the high streets are completely different now Mm -hmm. than they were pre-covid that acceleration in a few years, we're just going to continue to see. Mm. And really, there's this big challenge right now, whilst physical retail is definitely, um, you know, it's getting back to pre-COVID levels. It's definitely a huge opportunity. It's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's much more of an opportunity than doom and gloom that a lot of people predicted. The challenge is that it's just not going to be the same as it was. 
transactional shopping is gone, community experience and storytelling are the future. Mm. And the challenge that we have is that we know that's what people want and where it's headed, but what does that really mean? What does that look like? So it's experimenting, it's trying things, it's being creative, but also being out of measure and see what's having an impact and what's not. And a lot of the work we do is supporting property businesses, uh, property estates, um, like the Crown Estate, one of our partners, supporting them to better understand that consumer. What does that shopper want? What don't they like? Where are they looking for news, media? What? Who do they want to interact with and why? What are the brands that are going to be the future? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the question that everyone's asking right now is what will the high street look like in five years or 10 years? Probably not the brands that are there now. So who are those brands going to be? Who is the next Gymshark? Glossier, Warby Parker. Yeah, so interesting. Again, so so many interesting things. I guess we'll go back to to the parts around um, sustainability and your business um, because we'll talk about DLDC in, in more details. But I think you said something interesting when we talked about the challenges as an entrepreneur and how, you know, it's constantly on the ages and... Mm. The important thing is to really try to go back to your why in those moments. And I think that's such a good advice or tip in a way, because I feel like as entrepreneurs, or maybe I'm talking for myself, but I think many entrepreneurs are struggling. And as you said, highs are very highs and lows are very lows. And when you're in the low situation, it's for me personally, sometimes very hard to kind of keep going, like, you know, get the motivation going and like managing anxiety and and everything. So I think, yeah, going back to why you do it is super important. How do you deal with like those difficult times as Mm. a person or like with your team or as an entrepreneur uh, or as a leader of a business? Um, Do you feel like you have different ways Mm. of dealing with the the challenges and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And it's taken me four years to (laughs) to even get close to working out how to deal with them. And I feel like I, and I don't, I don't have all the answers. I mean, there are days, you know, it's, or, you know, periods Mm. where it's really difficult. I think the biggest thing that I've learned is when you feel like that, step back. And that's the best thing. I think the, what I really focus on is, I mean, I think the first thing is, you know, like I said earlier, terror and euphoria. You have to be comfortable living with both. And that doesn't mean it's, you know, terror for 10 minutes and euphoria for the next 20. It's mostly shit the whole mm. time. You feel like crap and you, am I failing? Am I doing this right? My numbers aren't good enough. My growth isn't there. Am I really even building a business people want? Mm. Should I even do this? Is this a waste of my time? We're asking people to invest in something that won't work. Like we're full of Mm self-doubt. Imposter syndrome is real. And for entrepreneurs, it is, you know, you're living and breathing that every single day. It's more prevalent in women as well. I think the big thing is, or you can beat yourself up. You can go down that spiral. It won't help. I've been Mm. there. We've all done that and tried it. Um, You just feel even worse. And I think the anxiety and the stress and everything that comes think just being able to I've learned anyway just to be aware of like the triggers or what's going to make me feel like that and that's where I know I've got quite good at being like oh uh, I need to step away mm. before I start to descend into the panic the fear that oh my god the like mm. you know the self-sabotage the mm. like you're failing or all of these awful mm. things that we just don't you know it's so it's human to do but it doesn't help yeah it's not going to help the situation and it's mm. rubbish it's mm. just our minds I mean, what I do, I think the big thing is finding your happy place. So mine is exercising, walking my dog, running. I just go and sit in the sauna sometimes at my gym or <laughs> run on the treadmill. People that know me know and think it's hilarious that that's my like escape is that I literally just go run on the treadmill for like 20 minutes and then I go sit in the sauna for an hour. And it's like, why not? That's exactly. Mean, like, yeah. you, know, you have to find your, <laughs> your thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's not that I'm, and I need that because I know I'll be much more productive. I'll be better mm. for my team. I'll be healthier, but I also know I can work so much more effectively. Mm. I'm so much more productive. And I can get so much more done if I'm mm. super happy, healthy, calm, and rested. Yeah. The minute you get stressed, you can't concentrate. You're procrastinating. You're stressing. Nothing works. There's no yeah. point trying. The most effective thing in terms of time, efficiency, and everything is to step back, go to your happy place, go do something, get perspective, step back, don't react. Mm. You know, an hour of that is enough to then move you forward so much faster. Because you're subconsciously thinking, you're reflecting, you're calmly considering the situation without thoughtlessly reacting. And when you thoughtlessly react, you make another mistake and another mistake. You don't explain things properly. 
you end up going down a rabbit hole of stress for yourself and everyone else. Mm. And it can do so much more damage yeah. than an afternoon off, a day off, a couple of hours off, or if you're like me, sitting in the sauna. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, definitely. And I feel like sometimes, you know, I'm, you know, I'm even telling myself, oh, but I can't stop now. Like I can't st step away now because I have this and that and I need to do that. And then at the end, when you actually, you know, step back and, and take a break, uh, you realize, but, you know, it's it's okay. Like exactly. the the world is has not is not gonna stop because no. I took t like a two hour break or whatever, you know. Exactly. And um, you think sometimes, or I've I've reflected and been like, God, imagine if I had actually made the decision I was about to make, that would have been. It, it would not have been as it, it would have been bad, mm. you know, or not bad. I don't know if it's a bad decision, but it wouldn't have been the right decision, mm -hmm. or it wouldn't have been a strategic decision. Mm -hmm. And in so many ways, I would have been a few steps back. No, I think that's that's so good to know, even for you know listeners and other entrepreneurs listening or people wondering, you know, um, how does that work? I think it's important also to see that side because sometimes mm. you know we see the all the good, you know, side of like being an entrepreneur is like how successful they are. And yeah, you see the gloss, the smoke exactly. and mirrors, you see yeah. social media and it's none of it's real. Yeah. Everyone's struggling and going through things, but it's, it's hard to do that. You mm. know, it's, it's really hard to be like, actually the best thing for me to do is step back this afternoon or go for a walk mm -hmm. because you're like, I've got this, this deadline, all of this. Mm. It's really hard, but it's 100% the only way in my experience and for mm. me as an individual it's the only way for me to be able to do my job quicker, better, more efficiently and perform to my mm. utmost. Yeah. To come back on some of the things you said as well, can you tell us, I'm, I'm very curious because I feel sometimes, you know, when we talk to entrepreneurs, founders or whatever about they, they, their journey, you know, they they talk a lot about, yeah, we launched a business at that time and then now we're doing that. But I'm curious to know, how was it at the beginning, like when you said, okay, I want to actually launch my business and do that? Where did you start? And I guess, what was the process of building a, a multi-brand retail business? So interestingly enough, it was actually in Somerset House, where we are now, oh. that I sat down with one of my business mentors at the time and agreed to start the company. I had been operating loans that it wasn't called LDC or Loan Design Club it was just a collective back then that I was organizing and it was growing and growing but and I was using very much using the model as a sales vehicle for my own brand so it hadn't been a clean cut defined incorporated business at this point basically what happened was the more I was using the model as a sales vehicle for my brand the more other brands were joining the community the more customers were coming and shopping from us so this model was being built whether I knew it or not that was changing things or giving brands space on in prime locations, giving them a piece of control over their the physical retail part of their business um, and giving customers this whole new experience. So it was a very organic journey that we just happened across because we, I was solving it for myself and for fellow brands. I was very lucky, as I said in the beginning, I'm from a design background, so cash flows, P&L, literally had no clue you know it was google how the hell do i like you know mm -hmm. actually build something commercially viable what does that mean profit margins all this stuff like you know and i was a design assistant and i'd come out of uni so i wasn't ever exposed to the merchandising side or the proper buying or you know range planning and detail to actually apply to a viable business um so all of that you know, I was completely clueless of on. Because of that, uh, the one thing I did that I stand by and I'm really glad I did was I had a couple of business mentors. And these are people, these were people that I was doing. I did a lot of internships in university. I did a lot of freelance, a lot of consulting, a lot of design work. And because of that, I was exposed to really interesting people. A lot were business people that needed designers to just do a one-off or needed to do something. So because of that, I was meeting entrepreneurs that were from the other side of the fence. So I was on design creative. They were very much cash flow, P&L. These are growth businesses. We just needed a designer to create one or two things. Because of that, I was exposed to that side of it. And I then built up relationships with a couple of business mentors that became NEDs actually in the business, um, and they still are now. And that was the best thing I ever did because it meant that we were checking in regularly. I was helping with their projects every so often if I if they needed a bit of support and just because I'd ongoing had those relationships. Mm. And I would use them and just say, like, I don't know, how, like, how do I do this? Like, how do I get these numbers up? Or what should they look like? Or what should my balance sheet show? How am I supposed to 
balance, you know, budgets, all of this, these things that I just wasn't exposed to and hadn't learned. And because of that, I would get a lot of support and help. And they were super curious and interested. You know, it was a different side for them. Mm-hmm. The fashion world, what I was doing was new, it was novelty. And because of that, there was a lot of discussion over where the industry's headed, what's the future of retail, what's going on on the high street. You're seeing a lot of um, success. This is amazing. What is it that you're filling? What are these gaps? And from those conversations and meetings, it just emerged you know, it was, this is a super timely opportunity. It was in 2018, early May, I think. And it was in the cafe above us, Penithorns, I think it yeah. is. Yeah. yeah, it was in that cafe space and we were just chatting. And I remember one of them was like, look, you're making more money. You've got bigger business proposition with this retail model. Like you've got so much demand on the customer and brand side. House of Fraser, Debenhams are all showing declines, operating profits. There's definitely a hit being taken to these larger traditional retailers. Mm-hmm. Obviously now they're gone. So it was interesting. Yeah. This looks like an opportunity. Like this is a, a model that could be shaped into something. Mm-hmm. Like why don't we give it a go? I'll come on board, I'll support you and bring that kind of experience of an older someone older with experience who scaled group, you know, grown businesses. So that was it. That was mm-hmm. the kind of day of like, yeah, you know, fuck it, let's do it. I put my own brand on hold, which was hard because mm-hmm. it was growing and doing well, but it for me it came down to and I know one of these questions is about sustainability and my experience and this is probably the beginning of it. It came down to the fact that I was one, the model I was building and creating at this point was like, we were solving problems for like maybe 30, 50 brands. And I can't even think how many customers, some of which are still, before I even incorporated are some of our best customers to date, and actually some that became investors. But we were, I was solving a problem for brands, for people that didn't have the service that needed this access. And it was that purpose and impact that I was having that felt really good, mm-hmm. that I could actually jump ship instead of be another brand in a very saturated world, mm. vying for you know customers and for for space. Why don't I be part of this model that's changing and mm. reshaping, yeah. and aggregating and giving access to these brands that they just don't have, no one else is doing, and that felt much more mission and purpose driven mm-hmm. um, and I felt like I was really solving a problem. At the same time, we were working with more and more brands focused on sustainability and it wasn't something that, we, you know, I had an interest, I was conscious about it and the, my own approach, but by no means to the extent these brands were. The sustainable materials, the kind of ethics, um, the social responsibility that they were building into their businesses in such a strong and like rigid level was really really empowering and inspirational mm. and it may I reflected a lot on how I need to you know change my own brand at the time but really it came down to the fact that I'm solving a problem for brands and for this huge group of people that don't have access to the high street and their customers in real life but at the same time I'm helping change the way we consume I'm helping you know customers be more conscious in their consumption by supporting the brands that don't have this outlet, that stores, that stockists don't want to buy, that are worried they're too new, it's too innovative, it's not, you know, mm. they're not going to get the uptake that Selfridge is needed, for instance, to hit sell-throughs to make it viable yet. And actually being part of those brands' journey and helping customers buy and shop and learn from businesses really doing good with really strong, you know, conscious sustainability missions at their heart felt like the place to be. Mm. And that was my ultimate tipping point mm. that I could have much more impact by growing Lone Design Club. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. It always goes back to purpose and mission and values as well. I think if we start talking about what you, I mean, we've talked about it already, but about what you do at the LDC and the strong values that you also promote a lot uh, in in what you say, but also on, on your website and in everything you do. I think one of the biggest challenges of businesses today is to sometimes walk the talk and mm. whether it's businesses um, themselves or leaders of businesses, you know, they kind of talk a lot about sustainability, ethicality, or, you know, the social impact of it, but where is the actual impact behind it? And, you know, um, so I guess it would be interesting to kind of know more about what you're 
trying to do with the LDC, like connecting independent brands and educating as well consumers on all those topics of sustainability. Yeah, I think you kind of said it like ideas are easy. Ideas are in abundance. Execution is really tough. And I think this is one of the biggest challenges with sustainability is we all have this idea of what the world needs to look like. And we're all, I think, in a, mostly in agreement of, mm. you know, how we should be behaving and, and interacting with the planet and people and working towards this perfect world of zero impact. But it's, at the moment, not realistic. And it's a really, really difficult challenge. And putting that into practice, there are so many elements that have to come together for it to work seamlessly. And so much innovation still to go. So much education and awareness. Mm. Um, so much you know, legislation and support that that needs to be put in place, structure. And I think that's why for us, I mean, a lot of what we do across sustainability, I owe completely to our COO, Alice, who joined pretty much at the beginning and is on a mission for the world to be the best place it could be. Mm-hmm. That we have a healthy, happy, safe planet and people within it. Mm-hmm. And I learn so much from her every day. And I'm continuing to, and she's such a core part of the company that's really driving that, mm. which I admire and I look to, and I'm not a sustainability expert by any mm. means. She definitely is. Uh, her background is in sustainability, ethics, uh, ethical fashion initiative and various other institutions. But I think the big thing for us is that we live in a world where, I mean, I think Fashion Revolution said recently we have eight years to go before it's irreversible. And, and we do live, we're, we're living against the clock we're also in a time where there's so much production there's so much being created unnecessarily we don't need to be creating the amount we're creating and if we think about what fashion is and what it means and what it needs to be it is important not only for obviously clothing ourselves but it's a Mm self-expression it's about positivity it's about you know vibrance and excitement and mood and there are so many things that fashion does that are so important so we can't just live in a world when there's no uh, progression or creativity or innovation that's not possible we Mm. need it as humans in more ways than just to clothe ourselves but we need to be smarter about how we are using the resources we already have Mm. or how we are minimizing the impact that we're having through you know what's out there and I think that's I mean the biggest challenge and it's why at LDC we we don't say we're 100% sustainable nobody can Mm. be but we believe that every brand that we work with should be making a conscious effort, whether that's across sustainable materials. So materials are either sourced, uh, that they're created, they're organic, um, natural, or they're upcycled or responsible, or it's ethics. So mm. I think often people are forgotten when we talk about sustainability. Yeah. But it's such a crucial role. You know, everyone have li- we have livelihoods. We all have livelihoods to support. We have families. Fair wages, fair pay, fair conditions are just as much part of the story as, you know, sustainability in terms of materials, government, mm. longevity, you know, that whole conversation. And then also social responsibility. You know, mm. we have a responsibility to each other, charitable giving. There are so Community. many factors in here. Exactly. Yeah. And I think this is, for us, really what it means to consume consciously mm-hmm. is – to know the story, to know the brand, to know the product, to know you're not just buying an item, but you're buying something that you will keep and treasure. And it's not that fast fashion approach of just buy stuff, wear it, chuck it, start again. But it's, you know, I'm going to buy this piece of jewelry because it represents and it's a part, I feel like myself is in it. Mm. Um, And it's something I could keep and then pass down generations. I don't know. There's more to Mm. it than just buying an item. You're buying into someone's journey, a story. Um, you're part of something. You're building yeah. nostalgia. And I think that's really what we're trying – well, that is what we're trying to promote here is that there are brands doing good. Those are the ones we should be shopping from. Those are the ones we should be supporting. Don't buy for the sake of it. Buy something with meaning that you're investing into that's part of you. That's It's that extension of yourself as an individual that you will hold on to and treasure. And all of the brands fit into one of those three, if not all, criteria that they are making – substantial steps towards the eventual goal of zero impact on people and planet. Yeah, I think that's so important what you said here because people are really, really passionate about those topics. They are very passionate about the the wrong side of it and what we need to change. And I think I think they're right. Definitely we need to go in a direction where fashion is made for longevity and has a positive social impact and a positive environmental impact. But how do we kind of combine that with the essence of fashion which is also 
as you said, you know, belonging, identity, self-expression, telling a, a story. And I think it's something that we still haven't kind of find the right middle point in mm. some way. So I think it's it's really interesting that, you know, you take that stance and, you know, it's it's not, it's about mixing both basically and yeah. kind of finding a, a, a common um, common ground here. And so I'm keen to know as well, like how did you learn so much about, I mean, how did you learn about sustainability and ethicality and social responsibility? Because I mean, from what you said is that your background was more in design or in retail. And I guess back then, I mean, I'm not sure about the dates, but we weren't talking about sustainability as much uh, as today. So how did you learn so much about that? And how do you like find the confidence today to, you know, talk about those issues? Although, Mm. because I feel sometimes for me, like when I talk about that, I don't always feel legitimate to to talk about sustainability. Is that because you feel like you may not be well-educated enough on a subject that you don't want to get it wrong? Yes. Yeah, I think a lot of people have this. I definitely have it with certain subjects. I think this is the challenge with sustainability and this is the issue that we're having is that it's this huge rabbit hole and the minute you start to unpick and go down it, it's just, it, it, it's like there's so many parts. It's huge. And it's there's so much education and there's so much knowledge and there's also, there's just so much we don't know. There are very specific experts on certain subjects. It gets very um, complicated and very overwhelming, I Mm. think is the best way to put it. Yeah, exactly. To be honest, my early days of education was from the brands that we worked with. Mm. And that's where I learned so much about it was and why I'm such a big advocate for meeting the designers, meeting the people with the teams behind the brands from hearing their stories. And it's also why I won't, why I stand by, you don't have to do everything. Just do one thing well and know through and through that what you're doing in that that one approach to sustainability is good and be an expert on that Mm. is because we can't do it all we can't Mm. know it all but what we can do is we can analyze one part of our business or take an approach that we strongly believe in that we're interested in that we know is positive and doing good and we can focus on that and start Mm. there start small and then expand and that's why with the brands we work with, we have the three pillars, sustainable materials, ethical production, and social responsibility, is that we're not expecting everyone to be perfect because it's not possible. But we are expecting a brand to take a deep dive, confident approach when it comes to one of those sectors, that they're super comfortable, that, I don't know, the materials are you know, made in a certain way that does actually deem that they mm-hmm. are um, yeah. sustainable however they want to define it but those principles are adhered to and I think this is a lot of this is because you know when I started doing this and working with brands that's what I realized is that you can't you know you have certain brands or bigger businesses saying you know we're sustainable because of this this and this and it's a very vague broad approach to making a change and you end up stretching yourself so thin that you don't really know what's going on under all of those hoods Mm -hmm. so actually it's better to be an expert in one area, um, to stand by that, get that right, and then expand into others. And I learned that from the brands that we work with. They all had slightly different approaches. None were wrong. Mm. They were all just taking their own their own approach that was personal to them, and they were using that as a stepping stone to do better mm. and to grow, to grow sustainability throughout the rest of their businesses. And I think that's the best way to do it because especially when you're a small brand starting out, you can't do it all. Bigger companies can't do it all. We, all, we can't all do it all. Mm. But you can take an interest in one area and become an expert or do that very well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more important than trying to do everything not so well. Mm. Yeah, definitely. How do you bring those values to life in your organization? Because I'm really also interested in you know, the workplace culture of fashion. Uh, I mean, that's that's my area. And I think workplace culture in fashion is really specific and really yeah. tricky. And so because you're driving such important values for your business and um, for the, the brands you work with and your consumers, do you also manage to drive that within uh, your team or your company? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think this is what we need to be talking about more. I mean, it's tough, right? Like startup culture is tough. You don't bring in an HR director for a while. You know, we don't have one. So it's (laughs) up to me and a couple of our C-level that kind of manage that. And 
Uh, it's so important. And I think it's, especially when you've come from the fashion industry, which is, oh God, I used to work like insane days. You know, it'd be pretty common to leave at 10, 11 o'clock every night and get back in at eight or nine. And the work environment wasn't super healthy. The balance wasn't there. It's also why now I'm a very big believer in step away, go rest. You can do the job in half the time if you're, you know, feeling great. Then slogging away for three, four weeks straight, working crazy hours, being exhausted, making mistake after mistake after make mistake. And it's ultimately just like, what was the point? Mm. I've done a worse job than if I literally just slept for two days and then did it all in one day. You know, it's that. Yeah. And I think this the, the industry is so backward. I mean, I haven't been involved in that side of it in a really long time. So I don't know what it's like anymore. I think it's definitely, from what I've heard, got better. But it is a crazy, crazy industry and it's backward in so many ways. Culture is, is so important. And yeah, what you preach and what you, you know, what you say you do or your values have to be steeped in the actual organization itself. And it's interesting one for us because for so long we fixated so much on are our brands doing good? Are they fitting mm-hmm. all the criteria? Yeah. Are they okay? Are they not? And we yeah. didn't look at our business itself. Mm-hmm. And when we did, we realized, shit, there's so much we need to be, you know, rethinking or advocating or, you know, doing differently. And it's been a, a massive process, but it is so important. Um, and it, it's why, for instance, now stores, we don't buy new. So 80% of everything in every store has to be recycled, reused, or repurposed. Mm-hmm. We do have to allow. And we're getting better at that 20%. In certain stores, it will be 98% is reused and repurposed. And it's purely just things like um, paint. But we use a wonderful brand called Yes Colors, where it's all very uh, – it's, it's ethical, but it's also recycled materials, their packaging – um, their carbon emissions, it's all very conscious and it's mm. in their approach. But it totally depends. The lead store, we weren't able to achieve 98% in terms of kind of everything everything being either sourced, repurposed, whatever. There was like, you know, around a 10% where we did have to buy certain things, just the nature of it not being local to us. But it's really important and we do evaluate each of our stores based on that. We work with Compare Ethics, who are a sustainability compliance and vetting partner. And they vet brands and products for us. They also work with us in various projects that we're on to ensure that we're being compliant and we're un- we understand and we're educated as a team on actually what is a responsible way to do something and what's not. Because I think this is also where it gets a little bit gray is that you may think you're acting sustainably and you're doing something in a um, in a manner that is probably better than others, mm-hmm. but ultimately. It might not be. Mm-hmm. You know, we assume so many things. Yeah. You know, data doesn't really lie. And there are times where, you, you know, be quite surprised where actually another option would have been better. Mm. But you assumed it was a different one. So it's, right. it's being able to have those conversations and I think set out those processes, guidelines, and metrics that you want to mm-hmm. to kind of follow. Yeah, that makes sense. That's, yeah. I still have so many questions um, for you, but we're getting to the end of that that podcast but we're still going to finish on uh, my two signature questions for the podcast so as you know the podcast is called wonder workers so i'd like to know after all the things that we talked about today what would you say is your superpower resilience yeah i just don't know if it's like what i don't know if if i was to choose or was asked if you wanted to have a superpower um (laughs) i and the only reason i say that is because that's what i've been told a lot and that's a good indication already of you know what is your your real like your superpower because if people say it it means that it's really what you're kind of reflecting and um, yeah i guess so it's it's quite funny yeah i have one investor who just says it to me every time and she also has a, a startup so which is why i think she's like mm. um she can see things it's quite interesting but um yeah, I think probably resilience. I mean, and I, and I think a lot of that has come from, again, the purpose mm-hmm. and why. I could have quit so many times. I could have walked away. I could have stepped out. So many entrepreneurs do. So many people do. Lone Sign Club isn't special. It's mm. another business trying to make its way. It's been tough. It's mm. been a really hard journey. Um, there are so many things wrong, so many things great, so many mm. challenges, so many opportunities, just like any business. So the business isn't special. But the difference is that I haven't given up. Mm. And I think a lot of it, I haven't given up, but also there's always been opportunity. I think that's the thing is we've we've never hit a point where it's like, shit, that's it. Mm. Like it, it's literally been 
days it'll be like, oh, it's just too hard. I'm too exhausted. I don't know if I can do it. But the business, the core business's value and the service it's providing and what it's doing in a purpose-driven concept is there. Mm -hmm. And I think having that has meant that, you know, there's always, you keep going. I'm on a mission. The business is on a mission. That purpose keeps the team there and going and striving towards that, those common goals. Um, but it's not easy. Mm. And I remember one of the first, when I worked at Alexander Wang, I had a really great design director who I reported to, uh, Marcus Clayton. And um, I remember actually talking to him about this. And I remember him saying something. This is way before I started the business, any businesses. And I remember him saying to me, because I was talking to him like, you know, I really want to do this. I want to do my own thing at some point. I don't know how we got on to talking about this or what, but I remember him kind of getting really serious at one point and being like, he said something like, you know, it's it's great. He's like, you know, do it. But the best piece of advice I can give you, you will get knocked down time and time again. Always get back up. And that has stayed with me since, God, like 2012, 2013. Mm. A long time, 10 yeah. years. And... Yeah, I know. Some things just kind of resonate. And I think maybe it was that that I'm just like, I'm going to get back yeah. up again. I don't yeah. know. Keep going. I mean, I can definitely feel it as well. Like, uh, I mean, you, you just through like what you said and like the, the episodes, I feel like way more. I don't know, like you're giving this energy as well. So I think <laughs> no, <good. laughs> but it's true because, um, you know, like actually right now I've been in a kind of low mood uh, the last oh. couple of days and um, yeah, and I feel like this conversation has actually given me some kind oh, of glad. energy and motivation back. So, um, so thank you for that. Really, last question: Which change maker would you like to hear from next in this podcast? Ooh, okay. Oh, there are so many amazing people doing amazing things right now. Um, okay, if I can pick just one, or maybe I can just say a few. Yeah, that I think would be great to have mm. on. Um, I don't know if they've already been on, so if they have, okay. I'm Hopefully, <laughs> at least one won't have. At the moment, we're, I'll, I'll mention the people we're working with at the moment. So we're just, we've just started working with um, Sojo. Sojo oh, yes. Yeah. Um, and they've just relaunched and we're going live with them uh, in the next few days or week, I think, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. super exciting. And I know that she's had a crazy journey the past few months getting the tech and everything together. And I know they're like super now, like it just looks amazing. The business looks so exciting. They're doing so well. Mm -hmm. The brand's all new. They've redone everything. Um, I think she would be amazing if she hasn't already been on. No, not yet. She she's was fantastic. on my list, actually. <laughs> Great. She's incredible. Yeah. The other one uh, would be Bianca Rangecroft from Wearing. Okay. She's, if, she, if she's not, she should be on your list, too. Um, okay. Bianca is a incredible uh, force of nature, and what she is building with Wearing is super amazing. So mm -hmm. digitizing wardrobes, again, similar kind of um, how can we be – smarter with our wardrobes digitization um the clothes that we have we only wear something like 30 percent of our wardrobes her app changes that and mm. it's like you'll use like 80 or 100 percent of it by following her um this incredible digital community i think they've got something like a million two million users now which is just phenomenal um so definitely her as well mm -hmm. then i mean there's some amazing brands that we work with that just constantly amaze me how incredible they are I was with, we have a, there's a brand that's just joined us, um, Sarah from Disrupt to London, background in clean beauty, Dior, various amazing fashion houses, um, kind of ateliers or fashion houses, obviously in beauty though. Mm -hmm. um, but what he is doing with his new brand is just incredible. And there's just so many wonderful people doing such great things, yeah. which is so positive and, and great to see. And they're getting behind their... You know, they're creating their own missions. They're out there to change things. You know, their mm. purpose is so important. And it's really great to see it all kind of in practice and to be able to work with mm. so many people that I, I admire so much. Yeah, I think it's it's so important and, and so inspiring for other people as well. Like, I think, you know, from all the conversations I've had so far, I've always felt so energized and so, yeah, connecting back to my purpose because of mm. the conversation I've had with people like like you who are so passionate about what they do and that just gives some strength and mm. hope as well yeah. back, you know. We all need a little bit of that right now, right? Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I'm really grateful for you, Rebecca. Thank you no. so much for this conversation. That was great. Thank you uh, for having me. It's been really great. Yeah, and uh, see you soon. Yes, thank you. 
Follow the Wonder Workers podcast so that every two weeks you can get notified when a new episode is out. And I must say, if you don't, that's okay. But that would be a big miss because we have more inspiring and powerful guests to come. So let's meet up in two weeks for a new episode of Wonder Walkers, a podcast that transports you into the world of our modern change catalysts and empowers you too to change the world. This podcast is created and hosted by me, Laura Warnod, founder of The Culture Cabinet. Thank you to Content is Queen for producing the podcast. But above all, thank you for listening. See you soon. <laughs>